Hey everybody, it's your boy John Pritchard. It's your boy, your boy. <laughs> that sounds so ridiculous. Anyway, uh, welcome to Well Disguised. Thank you for listening to episode 17. I can't believe we're on episode 17 at this point. On this show, I'm going to be not focusing on one topic or one album like I have in some of, actually most of the prior episodes. Instead, on this one, I'm going to riff a little bit on an album and then also talk about some new music and things that have been happening in recent weeks that, well, either they just came out or I just discovered them, but just want to talk about a few of those things and bring them to your attention. The record I'm going to be talking about is ZZ Top's Antana. Antana is one of those records that I listened to a lot when it came out. Haven't listened to it a whole lot in recent years, but I was in the mood and past couple weeks and broke it out and chewed on it a little bit and it's not exactly what I remember and it doesn't represent exactly what I remember so I had some thoughts on that I want to bring them to you before I get into that though I'd said earlier that if you left me a five-star review or what have you on uh, Apple iTunes or Apple Music whatever it is at this point you know in the Apple store for the podcast I'd read it out on the air and thank you for it I got another one of those from user TBPC. I'm not going to read it. It's a little embarrassing. Uh, it's very glowing and I appreciate it. The person who left that, though, I know is T-Bone Mathley. If you're looking for another podcast, I have to recommend T-Bone's podcast to you. It's T-Bone's Prime Cuts on the other side. He's only got, at this point, one episode up. He may be having a second one very soon. T-Bone is someone who has always been really good to me on Twitter. I mean, I don't know the man, but He's always been really good and complimentary and positive toward me. I really appreciate it. I've learned a little bit from poking around about how much he's done, his career as a musician, as a a journalist, as someone who had a radio show for many years playing rock music for sure, but other types of music as well. His first episode of his new podcast, which you can find at tbpcpodcast.com, and anywhere else you get your podcast, is with guitarist Steve Hunter, legendary guitar player, played on things you know about that he played on, where he's credited, and also some things that maybe he's not credited, like if you love Aerosmith's rendition of Train Kept a Rolling, well, that's not Joe Perry on there. Steve Hunter's playing on that. He's played with so many other people, Dr. John and Alice Cooper, and on and on and on. According to Twitter, his Got an upcoming interview also with Mike Skill. Looks like it's already in the can. With Mike Skill, famously of the Romantics. I think T-Bone must have a pretty good Rolodex. (laughs) Uh, For those of you who know what a Rolodex is. God, I just dated myself with my gray hair. Anyway, check out T-Bone's podcast. T-Bone, thank you for the support. I really appreciate it. Now, the intro music, the best part of my podcast, is getting ready to come up. But if you'll stick around after it, I'll talk a little ZZ Top. Everybody has haters. 
Everybody's got a detractor somewhere. But ZZ Top probably has less than most musicians in the rock realm. I kind of compare them in that way to ACDC. There's people that don't like ACDC. I get it. There's people who think that their music all sounds the same. There's people who just find Motorhead. Maybe Lemmy's vocals were too gravelly for him, and they just never really got into it. I get that. But almost everybody who's into rock, who's into metal, likes ACDC on some level. They like Motorhead. And I think ZZ Top is kind of in that class. But you have to admit, it's a little weird that that's the way it is. Because there's definitely an arc, or maybe multiple arcs, to ZZ Top's career that would not seem to please everybody. For example, conventional wisdom on ZZ Top is that when they started out, they were this rugged barroom blues, spelled B-L-O-O-Z-E, band from Texas, the little band from Texas that has not only that Texas aspect to their music for whatever that means, maybe really they invented whatever that Texas aspect is, which seemed to be, at least in ZZ Top's case, you know, a little swamp mixed with a whole lot of blues and a little boogie and just real authentic American music. Original, but certainly fit into the themes that had been developing up until the point when ZZ Top came into the scene really in the early 70s. And that was all well and good until MTV came along. And then you've got these guys who have this unique look. Maybe that, in a way, is a little bit like ACDC and certainly like Motorhead's kind of iconic, the moles and everything that Lemmy had. ZZ Top's got the beards, except for the guy in the band whose name beard doesn't have one. Anyway, not necessarily cover model material. Not necessarily the guys that are going to sell a lot of posters to teenage girls. But they find a way to make it work in the MTV age. They add keyboards to their music. They change their sound. A lot of that rootsiness is taken out. They get models to appear in their videos while they kind of stand in the background as, I don't know, as ghosts or observers from another world. Anyway, and it worked in a big way. Eliminator, Afterburner, big hit records. Songs like Sharp Dressed Man and Legs and Sleeping Bag and Rough Boy, which is really a pretty, gosh, that's a really nice guitar work on that. It wasn't all pop sheen. I'm not even saying that's what it was, but it was definitely different. It was a shift in what ZZ Top was to fit in into the 80s. It's not all that different from what Aerosmith did going from this you know, rough and ready rock band of the 70s to more and more putting a shine on it uh, with the ballads and everything else and horns and extra writers and all the sort of things that Aerosmith did. ZZ Top kind of did a similar thing in the 80s. Once the decade's over, in 1990, they released the album Recycler. Recycler seemed to be a half step back at least. There's still some of that commercial stuff from the 80s in Recycler. Recycler perhaps has a really unfortunate name. It sounds like, you know, we're kind of running out of ideas from what we've been doing. So, well, we, you guys know what recycled means. 
I don't even know if that's a fair criticism, but it's certainly one that was made. And Recycler is a good record. I like Recycler. But it wasn't what Afterburner was, or what Eliminator was. You know, Eliminator is a huge hit. Afterburner went platinum five times. Recycler, look, it had the song Double Back on it. Double Back, of course, was featured in Back to the Future 3. The band had a cameo in that movie. It went platinum. Nothing to sneeze at. It went to number six on the Billboard charts. But it also seemed to signify the end of an era. With MTV, look, there's so many guys. One of the things when I think back to the 1980s is how successful musicians were that weren't necessarily young. It wasn't not like today where the kids on the charts are really kids. You got old dudes. I mean, I know Huey Lewis wasn't old, but he's always looked kind of old. Lionel Richie was well past the Commodores when he was a big star. And on and on and on. ZZ Top, these were not young guys at this point. They weren't pop stars in the way that we think of pop stars here in 2021. But they were pop stars in the 1980s. But the second version of the band seemed to have run its course by the end of Recycler. It did fine but it certainly didn't blow up in the way the previous records did. There weren't models in the videos anymore that were capturing the imagination of young American males. Maybe it's easy in retrospect to look at it this way, but Recycler seemed to signify the end of ZZ Top as this major commercial powerhouse that could bother the Billboard charts in a major way. And with that very abbreviated history... We come to 1994's Antana, ZZ Top's 11th studio album. Now, my recollection of how Antana was sold, and by sold I mean marketed, was that this was ZZ Top going back to its roots. This was ZZ Top leaving the 1980s sound behind, going back to that El Loco, Rio Grande Mud, Tres Hombres sound. I could be wrong. Maybe I just have forgotten the way it was marketed at that time. Or maybe that's what marketing said. And I kind of internalized that and believed it and thought, yeah, this is what has happened here. If so, I think I was kind of stupid. Maybe maybe a lot of us were. I don't know. Maybe it was just me. I don't think so, though. I think that's what Antana was supposed to be. Now going back and revisiting it, you can hear that that's not true from literally the first second on the record, the very first song, Pincushion. It starts with percussion in just that very first second, a little boom, boom, pa, boom, boom, pa. And I say percussion because I guess the obvious thing to say is, well, that's Frank Beard on drums, except it doesn't sound like Frank Beard on drums. It sounds like that real fake manufactured drum sound that was so big everywhere in the 1980s and if you keep listening to this record I start to wonder whether Frank Beard played on it at all he probably did he's probably on there somewhere but it may be a lot of the places but there's a ton of that synthetic sounding drums on this record that is in retrospect kind of disgusting it takes away from the whole idea that this was some sort of ZZ Top throwback record because this is still really manufactured in a way that is unseemly, I think. If you want the clearest example of what's going on here or perhaps the the distillation, the crystallization of what's going on on Antana, 
maybe the fifth track, Girl in a T-Shirt, which is sort of stupid lyrically. But maybe that's the best example. If you just listen even to the first 20 or 30 seconds, you can kind of get what's going on on this ZZ Top record. On the one hand, you've got Billy Gibbons really trying. Billy Gibbons is going back, playing that guitar with those blues riffs and motifs and really getting back to some semblance of what happened maybe in the 1970s. At the same time, and since Billy Gibbons seems to be by far the most important member of ZZ Top from a songwriting and production standpoint, I have to at least cast some of the blame on him too. This is really a manufactured sound. It almost has a hip-hop feel for parts of it. This is music that is being made in the studio, layering of effects over the drums, the bass line. It's just a little different. It's not fake in the way so much 80s music was fake. It's not manufactured in the way that Eliminator is manufactured with so much of the keyboards playing a huge part in the main riff and the hooks of the song. But it's still all over the place. You can't miss it. Well, I say you can't miss it. I I missed it back in 1994 and 1995 and maybe 2004. Maybe I just wasn't listening closely enough. If that's not evidence enough, go to the very last song on the album. It's one of the Dusty Hill vocal tracks. And a lot of times, Dusty's vocals end up being my favorite songs or among my favorite two or three songs on any ZZ Top album. But that last track, Deal Going Down, listen the first 24 seconds of it. There's effects all over the place. It's just weird. This is almost electronic music that ZZ Top's putting out. I'm not saying you would hear it in a 2000s European discotheque or a rave or anything. But it's not the classic ZZ Top sound. And it's really a little different from what made them big stars in the mid-80s. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it doesn't work sometimes. The second song on the album, Breakaway, is one of my favorite ZZ Top songs. And probably, I don't know, if I had to write my list of top 100 songs and what a miserable task that would prove to be, I think this song might be somewhere up there, not necessarily in the 90s either. Breakaway is a beautiful song. It's You almost want it to be romantic, except that it's obviously not romantic. It's more, it's Breakaway. It's more like a breakup song than a romantic song, but it's just absolutely beautiful and touching in a way that I don't think ZZ Top had done before, and I'm not sure that they've ever done uh, afterwards either. It's a wonderful song, and the highlight of the album, in my opinion. That very first song, Pincushion. You know, Pincushion did pretty well on the mainstream rock charts. It's not a bad track either. There's other moments on here that are good, but ZZ Top has maybe never really recaptured that 70s sound. And that's okay, right? I mean, we're used to that in the rock world. When you're 23 years old and you don't have children, you don't have a wife, your addictions or your demons haven't even come close to getting the better of you yet, you make music and other things a certain way. When you're 43 years old, and you've got a divorce or two in your rear view, and you've got children, and you've had some health setbacks for whatever reason, it's hard to get back to that sound when you were a young, carefree kid. I mean, we know this as rock fans. There's examples in almost every band that we listen to that makes it that long. 
And ZZ Top is apparently another one of those that hasn't really ever been able to turn back the time to where they were at their very best. And maybe that's okay. I mean, of course it's okay. I mean, it's not a crime or anything. It's normal, I guess, is what I'm saying. But there's a reason when I saw ZZ Top, I think it was in 2019, I think, they didn't play any songs from Antana. For that matter, they didn't play any songs from its successor, Rhythmine. And they didn't play any songs from its successor, XXX or 30 or whatever, however you pronounce the title. They didn't play anything from Mescalera, which I think is actually a really good album. Um, That song, Alligator. I always play that when I get a new car, a new system fairly early on, because I want to hear how that song sounds on whatever I've got to listen to at that point. When I saw them live, there's this long break. They play My Head's in Mississippi off Recycler, and then it's all the way to their most recent album, La Futura, where they played their R&B rap cover, Got to Get Paid. So ultimately, what is Antana? Antana sounds like a band with one leg in and one leg out. Billy Gibbons is all in on the guitar, trying to recreate those bluesy Texas swampy riffs of his youth. But way too much fiddling in the studio, artificial fake sound from the 80s. It's not Eliminator, but it's not Tres Hombres either. Perhaps, as often is the case, this is another example of when you compromise, no one ends up happy. Alright, so what else have I been digging other than new, in quotation marks, quote, new ZZ Top records that came out almost 27 years ago? Have you heard of the Nighttime Boogie Association? If you haven't heard of the Nighttime Boogie Association, go put it in your search browser or whatever for Spotify or Tidal or whatever you're into. Check them out. Now, granted, there's not a lot to check out. It's actually only one single or an extended single. There's two songs is what I'm trying to say. But you've heard of the guys who are doing the Nighttime Boogie Association. It's Matt Cameron who is famous for being the drummer in two wildly successful bands, Soundgarden and now Pearl Jam. And Taylor Hawkins, who is the drummer for the Foo Fighters. Obviously, when your day job is being the drummer for Pearl Jam and for the Foo Fighters and the other projects that Taylor Hawkins has going on, you're not going to have much of a real project. Going back and reading, this is something that has been percolating for years it's been probably difficult for them to put their schedules together and put this music out but they're both really good songs i dig them a lot i really hope to hear more from nighttime boogie association i don't know that we're going to get a whole lot of opportunities but at least from the articles i read there is going to be an effort to continue to swap tapes virtually you know through through the internet and that sort of thing and keep working on it i highly encourage you to go check that out Speaking of the Foo Fighters, we're going to get a new Foo Fighters record the first week of February. I'll be honest, I've never been a huge Foo Fighters fan. I respect the heck out of Dave Grohl, but I just have never really... None of those albums have grabbed me in a way to say, yeah, this is a band you really need to love and to care about. But they have put out a couple, I think three now actually, songs off that forthcoming album. The album is called Medicine at Midnight. I think it comes out either February 4th or 5th. I've been checking them out, and I really like 
two out of the first three at least. The song Waiting on a War, I think that's the most recent of those singles. It's really laid back but gripping in a way that I think takes a lot of talent and musicianship. I wasn't so crazy about No Son of Mine, but they've also released a track called Shame Shame that's pretty good. Actually has me really excited for a Foo Fighters record. And you know I should be. We all should be. There's not many mega successful bands that are still carrying the banner for rock and roll. I mean, the Foo Fighters is the type of band, maybe one of the few rock bands that have come out in the past 20-some years, if it's even been, maybe more than that at this point, but that you could see playing the halftime of the Super Bowl or something. Anyway, so two out of three of these Foo Fighters songs I'm into for now. I hope you'll check them out. Always would be interested in what any well-disguised listener thinks. And then there's one more that I've been listening to. The new Dead Daisies record. I don't know what to do with this. I I almost don't want to comment yet because I have listened to it twice now. And certain of the songs that came out ahead of time I've listened to several times. And I really want to love it because I love Glenn Hughes. I really want to love this record. And I just don't yet. And I'm hoping I'm going to figure it out. You know, Dead Daisies has been this collective of musicians uh, surrounding David Lowey. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but David Lowey, I think, is a billionaire. So, you know, if I were a billionaire, I would probably want to start a band and keep bringing in musicians that I admired and looked up to 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 be in my band with me. So I totally, I mean, a lot of people give him a lot of grief and whatever, I mean, I don't guess I have to like it, but I would do the exact same thing if I was in his shoes. I, I don't I don't blame him at all. So the band is David Lowey, of course, legendary rock and roll hall of famer, Glenn Hughes. I know a lot of people probably don't love Glenn's voice, but it's I mean, he is kind of like rock and roll's Stevie Wonder. I dig it a lot. I I love Glenn Hughes. I think he seems like a fantastic human being at this point in his life. But also is just someone whose bass playing and voice I admire so much. Dean Castronovo played drums on the record, and that's fine and all well enough. But the other guitar player is Doug Aldrich. And Doug Aldrich has been on a lot of different bands, a lot of different albums, but in particular, he was on he was in White Snake for several records, including Forevermore, which is an album I like an awful lot. Uh, he was also on some of the later period Dio records. So, again, if I was a mega rich guy, if I was a multi-millionaire, if not a billionaire, and I could get the drummer who'd been in Journey and Bad English, and the, the guitar player who had been in White Snake and Dio, and the bass player and vocalist who'd been in Deep Purple and Black Label, or it's not Black Label Society, the Black Country Communion, and I would probably do it too. I don't hate the guy, but I just don't love this record yet. And Glenn Hughes, in this late period of his career, both as a solo artist and in other bands, has just made album after album after album that I have loved. I might even want to do a show sometime on his solo album from, I think it was about 2015, maybe maybe before that even, called Resonate. Tremendous record. Record of the year. Should have won Grammys. Um, but man, I'm just not catching on with this one at all. 
maybe it's kind of like Antana, you know, there's Antana ultimately probably just doesn't have a ton of great songs on it. I don't know that the songs are there or maybe I just need to catch up to them. I'm going to keep listening and give it a shot. All right. I know this is a little disjointed of an episode, but that's what we've got for this week. Thank you for listening. I always really appreciate it. You want to reach out to me, go to welldisguised.com. Welldisguised at outlook.com is the email address. You can find me on Twitter. Always happy to hear you. Reach out. I encourage you to rate, review, subscribe, do all that sort of stuff. I expect I'll be back in two weeks. And in that two-week period, I don't want to jinx anything. I don't want to spoil or ruin it if it's not going to happen. But I think I have an interview lined up that I'm kind of excited about. It's not exactly a musician, but I still think if you like rock and roll, if you like Well Disguised, you will enjoy this. I'm going to cross my fingers and hope that it happens. Anyway, be safe, be good to each other. I'll see you then.